Welcome to Calvary HSM Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope this blesses you. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Great. Let's get those lights on my dark face because, you know, melanin. So, hey, check it out, guys. Um, God is good. We've been going through this teaching series called The Names of God. Um, and what's good about this is that we're learning about God's nature. Uh, and as we, we, our hope is that as we learn more about the heart of God and the names of God, his, re, his nature is revealed in his name. And so what we're going to do really today is look at God as, well, there it is. Whoa, bright. I was tripping, man. I was tripping. Hey. All right. As Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. Now, if you guys have not uh, heard about this name, there's a little tote in the back of the room, a shameless plug that has the names of God and what they actually mean. Uh, these are, are not made for us to just make money. They're for you to actually have and hold. So as you hold on to these names, you will understand the nature of God. Now, I'm sorry if I've not introduced myself. If you're here for the first time or watching online. My name is Aaron Kajumba, and I serve here as a high school pastor. And so uh, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, we exist as a group of people who want to make sure you are, uh, you are able to be discipled, to live and love like Jesus. And today we're going through, again, the names of God and Jehovah Nisi. What I ask you to do is to turn over your Bibles. If you have one near you, if you need one and you don't have one on you, we can gift one to you in the back of the room. That will be a gift from us to you or to the side of the stage here to my left, your right. I want you guys to have the word of God on you. We're going to turn to, again, Exodus chapter 17, kicking off from verse 8. That's where we're going to be parked today. So I'll wait for you guys to get there. When you get there, say amen. For the one person who's there, praise God. We're going to move on from right there. The question is for us, again, that by knowing God's name, we learn God's nature. By knowing God's name, we learn the nature of God, who he is, how he operates, how he lives amongst his people, how he loves his people. And that's why we're going through these names. There's no other reason except to do exec exactly that. And for some people, the word uh, a name actually has meaning, right? Like John or Joseph or Aaron. And the question that comes up for many of us is what's in a name? Because every name has a connotation. Now, personally, I actually have, well, if you're called, like if your name is what, Slim, you're probably a thin guy, right? Right? If your name is, is, is Chubbs, you're basically Aaron. Like that's what happens, right? Um, or, uh, you know, for, for me specifically, I have five names. Four of them are actually on my government like details. One was given back to me when I went back to Uganda. But my names are Aaron, Michael, Walugembe, Kayondo, Kajumba. All right? Those are my five names. You'll never remember it. I know. It's okay. But those are my five names. They're so long that my two last names, yes, I said that, two last names don't actually fit on my License, like it's wild, right? So I have all these names, but all these names have meanings. See, the name, for example, Walugembe or Kayondo are a part of my tribe in Buganda, and they're for the royal clan. Yes, I am a prince. This is true, right? Then my name Aaron, it means priest. We talked about that guy Aaron in the Bible, dirty guy, get messed up. All the, that guy, the priest, man, that guy, man, messed up for all the Aarons everywhere. Right? That's priest, right? And then the name Michael means to be like God. And so literally, as my, my parents named me, 
they were expecting and hoping that I would live up to the name that God has given me and the names that they have given me. My name Kayondo actually means little hammer, which is interesting. So anyway, there's that, right? So we have all these names that have meanings. And as you maybe listen to those names, you might be like, okay, some characters of those things fit in your, your lifestyle, Aaron. They fit who you are. But as we look at the names of God, his name is majestic. In fact, it says in Psalms 8, 9, 8, 8, 9, that Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That his names are majestic. They are great. They are powerful. They are strong tower that we can run into when we need it. Every time we come up here and sing, for example, the first week Drew opened up and said, Jireh, Jehovah Jireh. You can call on the name of God as a provider. For many of you, that's a song for you that you go to in the middle of things when you have not. Like when you have lack, you go to that song and that name. Or if you are uh, remembering a few weeks ago, uh, well, actually last week, uh, we talked about how uh, Jesus or God is Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives us great peace. And so these names are not just to be thrown around. These are names that reveal the heart and nature of our God. And Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is our banner or the Lord is our standard. The Lord is our banner or the Lord is our standard. And in Exodus 17, 8, where we begin this, this text this morning, we begin to see that it's in the context of war. It says this, that the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. In the context of war, these Israelites are about to experience their actual first fight in life. For, for many of us, we've been to small group or camp, or we've just been baptized. Life is going gravy for you. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden... Your first fight comes up. And we'll talk about what that means. But let's unpack these people, the Amalekites. These Amalekites were people who are descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? There's Jacob and there's Esau. And so Esau is the other brother who sold his birthright to Jacob, who Jacob actually then stole the rest of his blessing, right? And so the, the descendants of Esau are these people who for centuries and still to this day, if there's some people uh, around, to some degree, you may never know, right, are people who are against the Jews. It's such a, a long-running history that when these Israelites come out of slavery, they've been in slavery for 400 years, and then they cross the Red Sea, and they get to uh, this place called Rehidim, and their first fight is with who? With their family. Israel's actual first fight is with their family, which is crazy. Their first fight is with things that are familiar with them. And what's interesting for us is this, that we're going to easily have our first fight with our flesh. See, the Amalekites represent our sin and our flesh and things we so easily slip into. Your first war will be with your flesh or what you find familiar. Things you want to go back to, things that try to tempt you, that try to pull you back into your old lifestyle. They will call you back to those things. And what happens is this. When we see Jairah in Genesis 22, it's an image, an image of, uh, of Christ coming to give himself for us so we don't have to live a life of death, that, that Christ gives his life for us. And that's called a Christophany. That's a technical term. 
when you see an image of Jesus in the Old Testament, like he was the ram in the thicket, he was the fire in the bush speaking to Moses, like this was happening here, that Jesus reveals himself to his people. He reveals himself to the ones he loves. And what happens is this, we see that God again reveals his nature through his names. And in this context of war, this war, these people experience a war against their flesh. For context, the chapter before, they were arguing about all these things, about how, whether God has left them or been present for them. They begin to doubt the presence and understanding the nature of who God truly is. These Amalekites are not just the people. Because you might say, many people ask this question, how come God allows for all these people to die in the Old Testament? The Israelites go out like Jesus' hitmen or God's hitmen, taking out all these people. The Amalekites were evil people. They were people who would prey on, they're kind of like pirates. Let me give you the easiest example. Who would prey on the weak people at the end of large groups of people. The Egyptians had a name for them. The Greeks had a name for them. The Romans had a name for them. Like everyone had a name for these people. No one appreciated who they were. Not because they were a people who were like, like uh, set aside or anything. No, but because they were out there attacking people. And so Amalek came to attack these people. And it's interesting, even through history, if you guys read the Bible in 1 Samuel 15 or even the book of Esther, you will see the line of generation of the Amalekites through the Bible. And people who represent our sin and our flesh, who are attacking the people of Israel. In 1 Samuel 15, if you guys remember this, this verse, it talks about how God desires us to have not just a, a, a sacrifice. He wants obedience. 1 Samuel 15, we see Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, anointed, right, gets up there. God told him to go and kill all the Amalekites, to blot their name from the earth. And what does he do? He goes out there and saves the king, King Agag, and saves all the sheep and brings them before God. Then he goes to church. He, he keeps a little bit of the sin in his life. It's like for some of us, we've made a decision to say, I'm going to cut off a little bit of my porn or a little bit of my gossip or a little bit of, 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 of my hatred towards someone and not all of it. And he, he brings it back to church, to God as a, as a sacrifice. And he worships God in that place. And then Esther, down the line, we see that the man who tried to kill Esther and all the Israelites was also an Amalekite. They were supposed to remove these people off the face of the earth, but they did not. And because they did not fight this thing, they did not obey God, guess what? Down the line, guess who kills King Saul? An Amalekite. That's what happens. When you leave sin in your life, when you don't have a standard to hold on to the promises of God or say, God, no, you do have better for me, that sin will linger and hold on to you and will choke you and take you out. This is not a game. This is what happens. What happens is in verses 17, 9 through 10, the Amalekites come to attack their far-off cousins, the Israelites. It says in 9:10, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. All right, so here's the scene. Picture this, Italy, just kidding. Uh, picture this, 
what's happening is that they're going to actually fight. And they're in a valley. So Moses sends Joshua down to the valley to fight. And then he goes up the mountain with Aaron, that guy, and Ur, right? And they go up there to watch the fight. And it says in verse 11 that as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now what's a big deal about this staff? This is the same staff that the Lord used to split the Red Sea. The same staff that the Lord used through Moses to turn the Nile from water to red with blood. This is the same staff that split the Red Sea again. These are the things that God has used in him. And it's nothing pretty wild, pretty crazy. This staff is just a symbol. It's just a symbol. Moses just happened to have this staff in his hand while he was in Mount Sinai hiding for his life. When he was hiding and, 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 and not doing anything, wasn't even looking for God. But God found him in the burning bush and spoke to him and asked him, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? I ask you the same question right now. What do you have in your hand? See, the crosses we are on our necks are just symbols. And for some of us, we might feel like we're also just simple people. But God can use simple things or even what you consider as simple people. You might say, I'm an introvert. That's, I'm not like these other people. You might say, I'm not even fill in the blank. Smart enough, strong enough, old enough, all these different things. Just fill in the blank. But God says, I am your standard. I am the one to look to for strength. If you look in all these other places, you will be disappointed. News check, you will be disappointed. That's what happens. Moses has this interesting thing. He has about 40-year periods, right? So the first 40 years he was in Egypt, living in the palace. The next 40 years, uh, he's about now 80. He ends up uh, uh, out there in the wilderness. So God calls him when he's about 40 years old. So he's been out there for about 40 years. And now he's leading his people across the desert. How old do you think he is at that point? Between 80 and 120, right? He's an old dude. So let's give Moses some slack. Let's say maybe his hands are just tired, right? It's just a tired thing. But what happens is this. God uses the people around him to speak to him, to help encourage him. And for many of us, once we are in the middle of struggles, we tend to regress back to our sinning quietness, and we don't ask for help. We don't reach out. Why? Because sin is comfortable. Sin is fun. The Bible says that stolen waters are sweet. That's what it says in the book of Proverbs. It's more comfortable for me to hide my sin than to bear my chest before everyone and say, hey, this is where I was or where I am. And for sometimes we even speak about our sin in riddles. Oh, I'm just struggling with some stuff. Small group. What's going on? I'm just struggling with some stuff. I'm just working through some stuff. Like, be, be a person who is willing to be open. and Because for everything that God uh, 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 reaches in our lives, for every issue, he has a name. For everything, he has a name. Are you sick? He calls himself Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Like, I, you need peace. He says that he is Jehovah Shalom, the God who brings peace. We've been quoting in Ephesians that he himself is our peace. 
So when you fail to name and you fail to be honest and fail to bear yourself in humility before this God, guess what? You only keep yourself in that hole. Yet God wants to set us free. God will use the ordinary to do miraculous things. This staff is kind of like this. This is mine from Uganda, but check it out. This staff is nothing special. There's nothing special about this, but in the hands of God, in the hands of God, great things. And in the hands of God, you can do great things. In the hands of God, you will do great things. The question is, will you submit yourself to this God? Will you trust him? Will you be like Samson who used a donkey jaw to kill all the Philistines? Will you be like David who used a rock and a sling to slay? The, like this is a story throughout the world. Everyone talks about David and Goliath. Or they'll talk about the five loaves and two fish. People who don't even believe in God will talk about five loaves and two fish. God multiplied them. God can use all situations to do his will. Why? 1 Corinthians 1, 27-28 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? Because God deserves and is jealous for his name. He wants the glory, not because he's needy, but because as he's glorified, you are satisfied. Like you, you think about it. You truly get satisfied the more you give God glory. The more you lean into his presence, the more you trust him, you yourself get fulfilled. Your purpose is found. Oh my gosh, why are you so happy? Why are you so peaceful? It doesn't make sense for you to have death in your family and to have peace. It doesn't make sense for you to have people who are sick in your family and for you to have peace. It doesn't make sense for you to maybe be failing grades. Yes, I said it. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't make that school I wanted to get into and still have peace. How does that happen? That's not positive thinking. That's not your own strength. That's not your own thing. It's what God does and he gives us in himself because he himself is our standard. The standard of God is actually our defense. It says in Isaiah 59, 19, it says, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That God will lift up a standard. That staff was nothing special. It was a representation of God's promises. And these people were just fighting. The question is for us now. How do we hold to this standard? Where is the turn to then submit ourselves? What does that actually look like? Exodus 17, 14 says this. That the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. He says, okay, all right. This is literally the first time you hear someone in the Bible say, write it down. This is what happens. Joshua, write it down. He tells Moses, Moses, write it down so Joshua can remember. Write it down so future people can hold on to it. Write it down so you here and now can hear this truth. That God has a plan to eradicate all the sin from your life so you can have, have a relationship with him. What are we to do? One, we have to remember who we are and what God has called you to. 
Remember who you are and what God has called you to. Again, this is not something you're doing through positive thinking or thinking good thoughts or this is not something that's in your own determination. Because the way they won that war, if you guys remember, was by remembering that, hey, God had a standard. He raised it up. And every time Moses put his hands down, they lost. It wasn't in their strength. They could have lost. It was about a spiritual act of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Many of us think that what we're doing will determine the outcome of our situation. And I'm not saying that you don't have a role, okay? I'm not saying you don't have a role. You do have a role. You do have a role. And your role is this, is to rest, is to trust, and is to wait. Is to rest, is to trust, and is to wait. The Bible talks about stress and anxiety and depression and all these things that we have. Ultimately, the bigger overarching thing is fear of or fear over. And what he says is, do not fear. He doesn't say, just don't fear. No, he gives us a reason. Because I care for you. He says, cast your anxieties on me. Why? Because I care for you. Because I will take care of you. That's what he says. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? Let's be real. Anyone in this room? Don't say Google, please. Like, for real, for real, for real, right? Okay, we went to uh, Hume a few weeks back. Storm, snow falling everywhere, crazy. You guys were opening up your mouths like, ah, snow. Like, it was crazy. And then after the snow, we're walking around towards, you know, uh, the, the mess or where we get food from or whatever. And what was there? I, I was looked up, and there was crows. I'm like, where were you doing this? Like, I'm tripping out. None of you guys have seen any of these birds plant or, or dig or have issues with schools they're going to get into. Or, or, or even worry about, like, where they're going to sleep. But all of a sudden, after a storm, you see all these animals thriving. Like, thriving. It's crazy. And God asks us this question. He goes, are you more valuable than these birds? So he says, instead of trying to achieve all these things, yes, you have stuff you're working through. He says, rest in me, trust in me, and wait. Wait. And that's the hard part for us is the weights, the, the in-between. He says in 1 Peter 5, 6, To humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The rest of that verse, again, is that cast your anxiety on him. That's the rest of that verse. He goes, humble yourself. Don't try to do it on your own. If you try to do it on your own, yes, you will fail. You'll be like, oh, my gosh, why isn't God doing this? But you're doing it alone. It's not God's fault. God has clear purposes for his people. He wants his people to be free. See what happens in verse, verse, verse 17 through 3. We see these people that they were thirsty. They grumbled against God. They're, they're crying out against God. And they begin to even doubt the nature of God in verse 7. They say, and, the, and he called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Which is normal. In the middle of our circumstances, you ask yourself, God, where are you? What are you doing? What the heck, God? That's what, literally what I would translate it as they were saying. Is God even amongst us? Is he with us? They began to question the nature and character of God in the next chapter. We have an example of how God says, no, I'm raising the standard. 
You think that you're here, you're going to survive without me on your own, like, on your own strength? And they have this fight. They have this, this thing happening. And again, the Amalekites represent a spiritual aspect of our lives. Now, I, I'm, for some of you in the room, you might be offended, but praise God, that is what it is. Check it out. For some of us, we're more, like, afraid. Like, we're more afraid of the Holy Spirit than we are of Harry Potter. Like, you have this, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, the Holy Spirit, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about these things that God has for us. I'm not sure of that. But Harry Potter, full send. Let's go. Spiritual things, let's go. Like, if it's a video game, it's coming out next week, let's do it. Like, that's where you are. But when someone tells you pray and to trust the Spirit of God to move and to heal and to bring peace and to bring uh, unity, you're like, "Ah, I don't know about that. That sounds too much. It sounds far off. How is that? See, our issue is not necessarily a physical one, physical one. It's a spiritual one. It's one where we're not having a, a relationship with this God who raises a standard and we, see, we are to call on to him and to trust him. What happens in verse 13, it says, So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. And this is how we fight our battles. That you are to give your best in the valley. Give your best. If it means for you putting your computer outside your bedroom, do that. If you need to have people to call you every once in a while because this is when you feel you have to self-harm, do that. If it means for you that you need to figure out, like, like if, I, if you catch me to lie, call me on it, please. Don't let me lie. Because for some of you, you guys are perpetual liars. There is no truth in you. And so what he says, ask, allow yourself to do the best in the valley. Struggle. Like, do your best. Do your work with that aspect. And then the other aspect is this. Lean on God while holding up the banner on the hill, knowing his banner over us is love. There's a song we used to sing in Sunday school that says, I am my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Anyone in the room? I'm so old. Oh, two people in the back. There you go. Right? This is, this is the song we used to sing in Sunday school. I am my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. That was a song. Until this day, for me, at least for me, I have that in my heart knowing that if anything happens in my life, I'm going to do my best in the valley, but I'm going to trust that God's going to use the little that I have to make much of me, to make much of my effort because God is our standard. I can't do it on my own. I need him to step in the way. Verse, verse, uh, verse 14 again, Joshua has to hear this. Why? Because Jesus came to set us free. But the issue is we continue then to flirt with the sin. Jesus asked us, Jesus came to set the captives free from sin, and yet we continue to flirt with the sin that he came to set us free from. We have an opportunity to trust him with all of who we are. But like Samuel's, like it says in 1 Samuel 15, for some of us, we are, out, are like Saul who will flirt with the idea and still hold on to it. And then you blame God. Where you have like a part-time sin. Like sin has visitation rights. And then eventually has squatters rights in your lives. No, he goes, I want to blot it out. To take it all out so it's gone. And here's a few points for us to note as we live and love like Jesus as we really lean, learn to rest on his promises. 
It says that the battle comes for us when we are actually comfortable. Remember, they were a comfortable people. They've been set free. They were walking around. They were complaining, doing all these things. Then they got water and were, and were fed, and they were still complaining, even after being, being at this place called Rehidim, which means resting places. Literally, the word Rehidim means resting places. They were in the place of rest, and they got comfortable. They forgot that they were in the desert. We forget that we are sojourners, that this is not our home. Hey, this is not your home. It's not your home. It's not the end goal. The goal of, night, of life is not to have kids or have a house or to go to the best school or get the best job. Those things are great. Don't get me wrong. But that is not the, that's not the goal. You are in, 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 in a journey. You are moving towards where God has for you, and that's heaven. You don't belong here. This is not it. And if you live with these things in sight, like your standard is down over here, like this is your standard, as long as I get an A, that'll be it and I'll be fine. That's your standard. As long as I get to this school, I'll be fine. That'll be it for you. Like that's it. That's all you're going to have. But if your standard is heaven and God is your standard, your, your standard is the Lord of hosts who fights for you, then your standard will be eternal. You have a hunger that will always be satisfied. Because once you get that egg, guess what happens? There's another test coming. There'll always be another job. There'll always be someone who has something better. There'll always be something competing for your pleasures. It will continue to go on and on and on. The battle comes when we get comfortable. We're also most vulnerable when we are most comfortable. That's when you get very vulnerable. That's why Peter says to us in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we are to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He goes, stay strapped, don't sleep. That's what he says. Let me translate it for you guys who are like on that hip-hop plan. Stay strapped, don't sleep. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not to hang out or hold your hand. Sin wants to choke you. And my heart breaks for those who are continuing to just give themselves over to these things, to the lies of the enemy, to the thoughts in your mind. The battle is already won. It is given to you. It is won. My heart breaks to hear that people are still giving themselves over to the thoughts and words of, of, of man. He wants to set us free. He says in Matthew 26, watch and pray. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So if the flesh is weak, we need a standard. Does that make sense? Because the flesh is weak, we need a standard. Because we can't, we need God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Because there is a standard. Two, battles are fought with the help of true Friends, remember Aaron and Ur? These battles you cannot fight on your own. You need God's mighty power. You need people around you to help you walk through this. It says this, that these true friends are marked by these things. One, they notice you. Your friends see you. For many of us, the issue is we don't feel seen. God sees you. He knows you. And for us in this space, there's a small group. And for many of us, actually a few weeks ago, we were challenged, even as leaders, to see one another, to see eye to eye, 
to peer into not just the, the face of, 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 of each other every, every Sunday, but actually into the hearts of one another, to know one another. Like we're talking about knowing the heart of God and knowing, each, he says, we're to know one another. When it says in, in Genesis that Adam knew his wife, yes, there's a sexual connotation to that, but it's also one of deep understanding of character, of heart. Like, I know my wife. Like, if you ask me, hey, do you think your wife will do this? I'd be like, no, no. Or, yeah, why? Because I know who she is. I, I, I have an understanding of who she is. God wants us to have that with him as well. True friends, they notice you and they come alongside you. They don't leave you in the middle of your struggle and be like, hey, guess what? You're struggling? Oh, you'll do fine. I'll pray for you. And then they walk away and never even pray for them. They notice you. They come alongside you. They're there to encourage you, to keep you accountable in the battle. And guess what? You don't have to fix anything. The only thing that Aaron and Ur were responsible for was lifting up the hands of Moses, to hold his hands, to be present. Literally, your presence is a present to those around you. So be present. Give yourselves to those around you. Be a true friend. Are you a true friend? Galatians 6.2 says we are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How are you, how are you supposed to live and love like Jesus? Live a life of self-sacrifice. Literally says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Don't come to small group only for yourself. Notice I said do come for sure, and come for yourself, but not only for yourself. When you come to live in love, don't come only for yourself. There's a standard. Why? Our standard gave himself for us so we could be free. Does he get glory? Heck yeah. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You bet he does. Jesus gets glory. Like I said, we are more satisfied in him when he's glorified in us. That's what happens. Three, battles are won. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, Sophia said it last week, that when, you're, when you are struggling and failing, you look into the eyes of the one who loves you. And you get confidence and you receive peace for the next day. Exodus 17, 15 through 16 says, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Guys, that verse said one more time, Moses built an altar and called the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Guys, God himself has hands. Like if people want to throw hands with you, don't worry about it. God himself has hands. And he said, he will war against those people. He will war against those things. There's no war that is lost by you being humble amongst people. There's no war that you will lose by being humble before God. There's not one that I've lost. I can tell you right now, there's not, not one single thing where I have fought my own pride or made my own decision to kill my desire for me. And said, God, you know what? I'm going to kill my desire for me. Because I know that you that's what you did. That's what you did, God. That's my example, Lord. Because he says he will lift me up in due time. And he does. 
If God is a liar, oh, well, okay, well, that sucks. But he's not. I dare you, the next time someone does something to you, offends you, I, I invite you to be humble. I invite you to trust yourself to the Lord and watch what he does to lift you up. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the one we can look to. That when we are struggling and feeling low and want to re return and retaliate, we can say, no, he didn't. And he's going to fight for me. And I can rest in that as truth. Literally, the Septuagint, which is the earliest extant Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, uses this word, curious fuge, which means the Lord is my refuge. That same word, nisi, the Lord is my refuge. That when you have all these things going on, you can look to the standard and run into him as a refuge. Where people may come and leave you, you can run into him as a refuge. Spaces aren't your refuge. And I'm not saying nature is not bad. Nature is amazing. But what happens when someone bulldoze, bulldozes over your nice waterfall and builds a housing project with 10 by 10 cubicles and all those good things? Like what happens then? Oh, will you not connect with God? No. Like we said last week, God himself is our peace. And if Jesus is our hope, then the battle is already won. If Jesus is our hope, this battle is already won. All I have to do is wait to trust and to hold on to him. So any guilt or any shame or any condemnation that comes on you in your own mind, some of it is on your own mind, or from people around you. You can say, hey, no, 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 hold on. Jesus is my hope, and the battle is already won. It's done. It's finished. That's what he did on the cross. The last words he said was, it is finished. Not, not hold up. Not wait. It's not enough. Not you to fix yourself. No, he says, it is finished. That's the gospel. That our standard invites us into a space where we can trust him for all that we have need of. For everything. There's nothing that his name doesn't provide. There's nothing that his name doesn't, doesn't, doesn't produce. Because he is our God who is for us, not against us. I'm going to ask the worship to come up. And as they do, we have to realize that in this fight, in this struggle, that these Amalekites represent in our lives. That we are actually fighting from victory, not for victory. It's a different struggle. It's a different one. Not for victory, but from victory. Why? Because it is finished. It's already there for you. It's kind of like the knowledge of, if you guys watch this movie where the girl has these red shoes, a witch falls, on, the house falls on a witch. What movie is that? Oh, Wizard of Oz. Y'all are amazing. Wizard of Oz. Check it out. Wizard of Oz. House falls on this witch, whatever. This girl's in this house. She, has, she takes off the red shoes. She goes through this journey, Yellow Brick Road, the whole deal. Gets to Oz. And what does Oz say? Oz is like, brother. Oh, sorry, girl. <laughs> my girl. My homie. You could have gone home at any one moment. All you needed to do was go click, click, click. And then go home. Because she already had the victory on her, but she didn't know it. 
She didn't know it. I would ask you right now not to click your shoes because that would be weird, okay? I'm asking you guys to go, go buy red shoes and do all that. But to look to the standard. I'm going to read these scriptures over us as we wrap up here. Psalms 46, 1 through 3 says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because he is an ever-present help in trouble or in times of need. Therefore, we will not fear, through the, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Lord, though, though my, my world is crashing around me, my emotions are enveloping me like a, a, a shroud of clouds and darkness. I will not fear. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Verse 7. Though all these things happen to me, this is our confidence. This is your confidence. This is my confidence. This is our standard. Not our strength, not our wisdom, not our enough Bible that we've read or how many times we've come to a worship night or the feelings of, of being prayed over. No, no. The standard is this. That the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And for every one of us, when God calls people, his encouragement to them is this, I will be with you. Every single person, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all these people, I will be with you. Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of nations everywhere, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in my name. And then he says, I will be with you, even until the end of the age. Like, guys, this God is with us. He's our standard, and he wants us to trust in him, not in our strength. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to view you as not just a name or a God who is far off, but a God who is present, who knows, who understands who sees us in the midst of our confusion or doubts or, or pain and steps into time to save us, to free us, to give us identity, to give us purpose, to give us life and love. Lord, we thank you that you are for us, not against us. Lord, we ask this one thing, that you heal our hearts and two, that you teach us to look to you as that standard. Teach us to lay aside all these things, our own ideas of holiness, our own ideas of what it means to follow you. Lord God, teach us, Lord God, to humble ourselves and to trust you. Teach us to follow, Lord, knowing that as we trust you, Lord God, you will satisfy us, Lord, and you will be glorified. I speak that over everyone in this room, Lord God, a blessing to hold on to your truth, Lord God, knowing that you also, Lord, are holding on to them. And the God's people say we hope that was a blessing to you you can connect with us on social media at calvary hsm 805 on instagram or on our website god bless you